Welcome to the Fabricators Coach Podcast, where we believe that every fabricator deserves to have a business that not only makes the money, but also gives them time to enjoy it. In each episode, our goal is to share real information that you can take action on and use today. Information that, if you will use it, can help you reduce the chaos in your business, help you make more money, and help you get your life back. Uh, You're all here because you've got something going on in your business that relates to these issues. Uh, You've got uh, some challenges out there, and you've all probably tried different different ways of dealing with some of these issues. And I think it's really good for you to hear from each other about what's worked and what hasn't. So I want to encourage that conversation. Well, first, I want to introduce a couple of special guests. We've got uh, Christopher Cisneros and Pamela Cisneros with us. And uh, there are some marketing folks that I've done some work with. And this webinar talks a lot about marketing uh, in addition to some other things. So they very generously agreed to hop on for a few minutes. I think they may have some other obligations, too. May not be here the full time, and that's okay. But uh, as you've got specific questions, I'll encourage them to jump in and, and help us out as well. Uh, but let's start off. Um, for those of you that don't know me, um, I'm Ed Young, Fabricator's Business Coach. Uh, I've got over 40 years experience in manufacturing. Uh, I've literally worked with hundreds of different companies, coaching, consulting, that sort of thing. Uh, I've owned my own brick and mortar business. So those of you who are owners, I understand what that's like and how lonely that can sometimes be. I've coached a number of countertop fabrication shop owners over the last 20 years, and I ran a countertop shop for a few years, so I have lived this fab shop life, Uh, so I I know what a lot of that's like, and we will get started here. We're going to do a um, quick review of of the April article from the Slippery Rock Gazette, and the title of the article is, Would You Rather Have a Sales Problem or Production Problem? Um, This is the fourth in our 12-part series this year purpose of the articles and, of course, the webinars that go with the articles is to give you a structure to help you begin working on your business. Because the more you work on it, instead of working in the business, um, you know, the the quicker you're going to improve your business, the more you improve it, the closer you'll get to having a business that not only makes you money, but also gives you time to enjoy it. In January, we we talked about starting the change process. February, uh, we talked about how to use metrics like a sports coach. March, we started talking about how to get control of your business, some of the early steps to take. So this is what we'll do. Uh, This is a topic we'll talk about. And again, uh, as you guys have got questions, got comments and thoughts, um, we will please interrupt and we'll work through those for sure. You know, I asked the question, if you'd rather have a sales problem or a production problem, there are folks out there who will say, I'd rather have a sales problem instead of a production problem. Um, but if you're in a scenario in a scenario where you have a production problem, you've got not enough capacity and you're struggling to keep up with the workload that you have, we're not going to dive too deeply into that in, in this webinar because there's a series of articles that I've put out. Uh, they're on my website, uh, fabricatorscoach.com. And you can also go to Slippery Rock Gazette and hit archives and November of 20 through May of last year, there's a six-part series where I talk specifically about, you know, how to deal with a scenario where you need more production capacity, you don't have enough, and your backlog's growing, and the tools and techniques to deal with that. And as you read those articles, if you've got questions, um, you know, drop me a line, uh, get in touch, I'll be happy to walk you through some of those techniques. Uh, what we want to get into more this time is 
that there are a lot of folks out there that say, you know, I'd rather have a sales problem than a production problem. And what they're saying is, I'd rather have production capacity in my plant and my plant not be fully loaded. They're actually planning to not fully use the resources that they've invested in. Why do you think some folks might want that perspective, might want to run their business that way? Any thoughts? Victor, can you imagine somebody wanting to run their business that way? Uh, yes. Well, um, uh, you asking like, why would somebody want to do that? Yeah. So, well, I would say uh, based, you know, on my experience that sometimes when you uh, work, um, you know, at your maximum load for a, for a long period of time, that basically, you know, you can stretch thin. And if something goes wrong, then it would take you more time to recoup than uh, in the other case scenario. Yeah, I think what you're saying is, uh, maybe another way to put that is that what a lot of folks like to do is customer shows up with a, with a new order, they want to be able to drop that in and get it out, drop them into the shop and get it out quickly, right? Uh, correct. Or, or let's say if something goes wrong, like let's say you need to recut the job or uh, need to, or like one install takes longer than expected, then it, it kind of like a snowball effect. It backs everything out uh, that way. Yeah, no question. And that's, that's certainly reality in this business. Um, and, and we can all understand why somebody might want to be able to, to do that. Um, part of what I wanted to get into is there are kind of some downsides to this. Um, one of the downsides is a lot of these folks want to say, well, I'd like to run at 80% full. In fact, I've got a client right now that's about half full, and his goal is to get to 80% full. The problem is you think you're 80% full. In reality, you may only be 50% full as far as utilizing your equipment. You may think you're utilizing them, your equipment, your machinery, your people at 80%. In reality, it's only 50%. Um, any idea why that might be true? I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind would be we're just that you're not really honing in on on the your processes and stuff in place and that you're not really digging deep in terms of like seeing what your actual I don't want to say statistics or trends are but I mean at some level you're not really pushing the beast a little bit more if that makes sense I don't know if that yeah you're exactly right Derek you I think you bit the nail on the head uh what the what I'm kind of the point I'm getting at is that you know, whenever we're running a shop, it's not perfect. And there's always room for improvement. And having worked in a number of manufacturing plants over my career, um, I can tell you that if I walk into a manufacturing plant and countertop fabrication is manufacturing. Um, I walked into, if I walked in a manufacturing plant that has never had any real process improvement activities, they've never had any kind of uh, work management or work standards, production standards set up, anything like that. I can almost guarantee you that there's 30% of their capacity that's not being utilized well. That means that with the same machinery and the same people, they can get 30% more product through their plant. And so if you think you're 80% full and you're in that scenario where you really haven't done a lot of process improvement and, and worked on some of the things that Derek was talking about, then you may really be only about 50% full. 
And when you think about your business, you know, why are you in business and the role of your business as a vehicle to help you achieve your exit strategy, to help you do something in life after you're done with, with the countertop business, can you really afford to only utilize half of your, your assets, half of your people, half of your, your capacity? So that's, you know, that's one aspect of it. Um, another aspect of it is that you know, you've got this exit strategy. If you're only using half of your resources, what's the impact on when you reach your exit strategy? You know, you may have a five-year plan, 10-year plan, 15-year plan, but if you're not fully utilizing your resources, are you going to hit that time frame? Or on the flip side of that coin is if you were really utilizing your resources really well, then you can get it done a lot quicker. And so I think those are those are key points to think about. One of the other challenges is that I know from experience running manufacturing plants and, and any seasoned manufacturing manager will tell you that a plant that is full is easier to run than a plant that's not full. Any thoughts why that, that might be true? I think a lot of the uh, issues, especially in my area, the time and, and I would say the capacity, it, it's the time that we, we take from the shop to the to the uh, job site, it's a lot because we have uh, traffic issues. So sometimes we plan to have uh, an install for one day and it takes two or three days. And sometimes some of those pieces are wrong and, and it goes back to, we think we're, we're 80%, but in reality we're 50 or even less because we're not planning ahead on all those kind of things. Even though we think we did, we're not really because traffic is unpredictable. I think uh, it's, it's really hard. And also if we're not uh, managing our installers um, and we don't check on them, we don't know if they're really working a full capacity or hundred percent of their effort. Yeah, and that's true in install and in the shop. And and when you're uh, especially in the shop, when the shop's not full, or when the with installers, if if their schedule doesn't look full, people tend to kind of slow down. Work tends to expand to fill the time that's allotted for it, right? Um, and you get that complacency going on where, well. You know, I've got uh, five people in my shop and I'm not really full and one, one person leaves for some reason. I'm not in a big rush to replace them because I don't really need them. You know, I'm not full. Or hand tool breaks. I don't have to really turn around and get that going quite as quickly, get it back up and running because I'm not full. Uh, and then, you know, you start dropping in those jobs and it can end up being really difficult to manage because, You've not been really diligent about keeping things in good shape and really, you know, pressing forward and optimizing your process and, and working at a good, strong pace. And then all of a sudden you start to drop a new job in and things do get full. And now you got to shift gears. That gets to be a big challenge. So those are all things that create problems when you plan to not fully utilize your capacity. You know, the other challenge is that regardless of what goes on in business, you know, you've got business cycles and end of the day, it's your business, it's your decision to make. But, you know, I think as we look at what's coming at us economically over the next year or two, I think the general consensus is sometime soon we're going to have a recession, whether it's a soft landing or a hard landing. But regardless of whether your plant's full, uh, regardless of whether you need to fill your plant uh, or if you just want to plan to deal effectively with business cycles, 
you need a plan to increase your sales. And that's what I really want to spend a few minutes talking about that. And one of the quickest fixes is just to go out and do a, a promo on, on social media. You know, just something quick and dirty. Uh, this is basically product at a price. You know, we've got a special, we've got a we've got a bunch of remnants we want to clear out. So we'll do a special on remnants if you, you know, if you get a, you buy a kitchen from us, that sort of thing. Um, and that's, you know, the quick and easy way to start to fill a shop up. But there's kind of a risk to that. What do you think the risk might be to, to doing that as, as your major way to increase sales? You kind of set yourself as the low cost provider in some cases. You can create that reputation for yourself, whether you intend to or not. Um, exactly. That's Alicia. You're still with us. I thought I'd lost you. I'm sorry. I would have called I'm, I'm you here. Before. Just quiet. <laughs> Okay, good deal. Good, good. Yeah, that's exactly right. If you're out there offering product at a price, um, then what you're doing is you're you're playing the price game, the low price game, kind of that me too game. Um, and I've got I've worked with companies that their main sales engine is just a different promo every month. You know, regardless of how they're putting it out there, that's all they do. Um, and and there's a big risk there because as you play the price game, there's some things that we all know. There's always, you know, the guy down the street or across town who's got a smaller shop and less overhead, they can sell at a lower price, right? And then there's always the other competitor who's really big, who's got economies of scale, who can buy things cheaper, who's got, uh, you know, really well-experienced managers, may have a process improvement person on staff because they're big enough to afford it. And they're always drilling down, improving their processes. And because of that and their economies of scale, they're going to be really competitive. And so if you're playing the price game out there, you know, if that's your main sales strategy, then you're at risk. Your business is at risk. What you really need is you need a strong competitive edge. And what that competitive edge is, the way I'd put it is, wouldn't you rather be able to get customers to buy from you at your price instead of buying from your competitor at their price? Wouldn't you rather have a little more control over your pricing? For sure. Yeah. Uh okay. You also find that, you know, when we talk about, in my experience, when we're talking about like capacity, where if you're letting them dictate the schedule or you're letting them dictate pricing, you're also letting them dictate everything else from turnaround times from template to install, from, you know, everything else to where it's like, you're not setting the precedence that, you know, there's a benefit for going with our price then you let them run the gamut on the whole situation and it's difficult to rein in. And what's, what's the ultimate outcome of that, Derek? Chaos. And then you're also not, you know, it's chaos. You're also not following up on their expectations become unrealistic. And then, then you just kind of seem to, you, you start to see a cycle of clients or if it's B2Bs, you start to see a different cycle because you're not setting parameters and their expectations change from job to job, quarter to quarter. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you're, you're, you're singing my song. One of the things I like to tell folks is, if you think the customer is always right, then what you're doing is letting the customer run your business. And if your customer's running your business, they might very well run you out of business because they don't care if you make a profit or not. They want what they want, the way they want it, when they want it. And if you're not setting those expectations, if you're not managing that interaction well, then you're, you're putting your business at risk. And I think that's, that's what you're saying. I, I think I can see you nodding over there. So I think we're, we're exactly. Saying yes. Yeah. 
Good, good. Yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head with that one for sure. There's a, there's, um, in order to do that, there's some really key elements. And that's part of why I'm really glad that Christopher and Pamela are here with us on the call, because they're really experts at, at how you start to skin this cat. How do you get a customer to buy from you at your price, rather than buying from your competitor at their price? And I haven't, uh, haven't told them I'm going to do this, but I want to give them a minute to kind of give us a high level view of, of what that looks like, kind of what that process looks like, and what are some of the changes in how you advertise and how you market that that makes that happen do either one of you guys want to weigh in and, and give us a quick summary sure happy to thanks ed you've covered some really important aspects that um, we as business owners across various segments um, we learn and pick up these bad habits such as the customer's always right and then addressing price issues um, and so i just want to speak to that really quick um, one of the greatest things I've ever heard is if you live by price, you're going to die by price. And, you know, everybody in the world out there is really operating from a platform of marketing that's really antiquated. It's literally from the 1800s. The majority of businesses uh, are still employing that method, which is basically to stand on a soapbox, hold up your product or your service and just shout how great you are. Well, people are really tired of that. And um, we're inundated with media and social media constantly. So it's really imperative to think outside the box, to do something different, to shake up the system. And one of the most interesting things about this process is just to bring in a massive element of, of clarity. And so get yourself out of the way, put yourself in the shoes of clientele and what their needs are. You're not the hero of the story, believe it or not. Your clients are. They're the heroes. And to put them first is, is huge. And I see, for example, Victor, I saw your website. Um, and interestingly enough, we're neighbors. We're, we're actually located on John's Island. Um, oh, really? Yeah. One of the things That's I awesome. noticed, yeah, it's really cool. Um, I noticed you guys have a lot of customer testimonials on your website. And that's huge because that is getting validation from somebody other than you. You're not mm -hmm. the one saying how great you are. Your clients are. And you can't, that, that's, the, that's the absolute best thing. So Ed, uh, thanks again for asking. I think the biggest thing is to really start to shake it up with how you reach out to your audience. Your potential clients, your existing clients are a great referral source to tap into, um, but to communicate with them at a level that helps them feel like they're the center of the show. They want to help you and they will always want to come up and help you. I've never seen uh, a, any of our clients, clients not want to help by doing a testimonial or something because it's an important relationship. So does that help Ed? Is that something like you were looking for? Yeah, it does. I appreciate that. Thanks, Christopher. Um, you know, the key again is we want to, we want to help folks buy from us at our price rather than our competitors and in working with a lot of countertop shops, one of the things I do when I first, you know, I have a company that says, hey, I want an assessment or I want to talk or I got a question, I'll go look at their website. And I can tell you, 95, 99% of the countertop fabricator shop websites, they all look the same. Beautiful photos. In fact, sometimes I think they're either going to some, some on-site source <laughs> to buy or rent these photos because they all seem to look the same. You know, they're, they're fabulous shots. They look great, but it's all, you know, look at these great kitchens we've done. Here's our, you know, here's our process. Here's our products. You know, here's our history. Me, 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 me. It's all the same. 
when you really get down to it. And what I have found and what Pamela and Christopher have, have taught us is it's not about me. It's about do how well do you know how well do you as a fabricator understand the needs of your customers, whether that's the homeowner in a retail sale or contractor, production builder, kitchen and bath, big box store, whatever it is, or, or commercial client. It's how well do you understand the challenges that they have in their business and how can you demonstrate that you can help them solve those problems within your span of control? You know, you can't help them go out and hire and fire folks, but you know, in the in the management of their project, whether it's a, a kitchen remodel or just resurfacing the tops or whether it's a you know new construction, whatever it is, these tops are one of the last things that go in the house. And that's always kind of toward the end of what's been probably a testy process for some homeowner somewhere or or a contractor or or a buyer of a building. And they're they're kind of done, they're ready to wrap this thing up. And when you under, when you show a customer that you understand that and you show them how you help them be successful with what they're doing. You know, if you're doing B2B, how do you help that contractor make that homeowner delighted when they're done with the process? You know, how do you make them the hero in their business rather than show them how great you are? And when you can do it that way, they they understand really quickly. You understand their business, you know what their pain is, and they know real quick you know how to help solve that pain. And that's really the key, I think, that Christopher's talking about. Um, if you look at my website, fabricatorscoach.com, hopefully we've, we've gotten that point across really well. Um, it kind of gives you an example of that. If you hit uh, Christopher and Pamela's website, zafariinc.com, it's Zafari, like Safari, but with a Z. Uh, they've got some really good examples of that from some of their clients. And I'm not here to, to push what they do. I think they're awesome. Otherwise, I wouldn't let them on, on the uh, webinar. But uh, my point is, is you're, as a fabricator, when you look at do you want to have a sales problem or you want to have a production problem? At some point, whether you, whichever scenario you're in, you're going to have business cycles that come and go. We all, we all know we've got a recession coming at us sometime soon, and we've got to be ready to deal with that because no matter how full you want your plant, you do want good, profitable work in your plant. You don't want to be playing that price game and try to win that race to the bottom. Usually when you're playing the price game, you're as Alicia was talking about, you're trying to win that race to the bottom. And usually the reward for being the first to the bottom on the price game, sometimes you're the first one out of business. Uh, and so you don't want to play that game. And so you know, regardless of what scenario you're in, you really need a plan to increase sales because these business cycles come and go. And if you can manage and throttle the amount of work coming into your plant, into your shop, and, and ramp it up, know how to ramp it up effectively when times are slow, when, when sales are slow, know how to throttle it back effectively when you've got way too much demand, then that management of what's coming at your shop is a really big key to you running your business instead of your business running you. And that's kind of one of the big, big points that I wanted to get across there's some key elements in that whole process, and we can spend some time talking about those if anybody's got any questions. But that's kind of the, the big picture I wanted to get across. Any any thoughts or, or comments or questions on that? Ed, I wanted to, to add something in support to that, and that is um, one of our clients in Colorado, they're a, a high-end home builder in, in Denver, and they do these massive, uh, massive homes, and they're really good at what they do. Um, in the last recession, they grew by more than 20%. And one of the reasons why they did that was because of effective marketing and nurturing relationships. So even when a business is busy, 
we always help our clients and tell them that um, have options, always be nurturing some type of marketing conversation because you never know when one source is going to dry up and just have different channels open. So that helps you weather that impending recession or market adjustment or shortage of materials by having um, options. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it's, this all goes back to you running your business instead of your business running you. Um, one of the things I'm, I'm working with a client right now, in fact, Christopher and I both are working with a client. Um, one of the things that we're doing in this process is because of some metrics that I use in the work that I do, you know, we've all got intuition about which market segment works best for us, uh, which, which contractors we like working with or which kitchen and bathrooms we like working with better than others because of how they run their business. Uh, there are ways to put some metrics around that to quantify some of that intuition. And that's really helpful. Um, so that's that's something that can tie into this as well. That methodology, by the way, is in that six article series. That, that series started in um, December of, of 20 and went into May of 21 at Slippery Rock, plus on the web on my website as well. Alicia, you were you had talked a little bit about you know, not playing the price game or the things that we're talking about kind of giving you a little clarity on a way to not be playing that price game a lot? Um, definitely the messages resonate. The questions I have or um, I, I understand the point of having marketing or like prospects essentially constantly going and constantly in the pipeline. How do you effectively, you mentioned effectively like either just ramping up sales or throttling them. How do you do that in an efficient manner, you know, based on what the market is currently doing? Like, how do you implement those things in a quick manner? Well, it's tough to do it really quickly. I mean, that's one aspect, you know, quick is one aspect and effective is another. Uh, to do it quickly, you've got to have a system already in place and you've got to understand, and you've got to know which leverage you can pull. For example, one lever would be, um, I mentioned a, a quick and easy way if you really need sales right now because you're desperate, you know, the promo on social media, that's one, one lever, one, one throttle that you've got that you can kind of ramp up or down with, but it needs to be part of a total strategy. One of the things I like to do, there's some metrics I talk about in that six article series. And in the articles, I talk about how you apply them to the production side of the business. The cool thing is you can take those same metrics and apply them to the sales side of the business. And when you understand which markets and which market segments that you deal in generate cash for you the fastest, then you can make more effective decisions about, all right, how do I want to deploy an outside salesperson? Uh, how do I want to deploy um, inside salespeople who are making outbound calls? Uh, what do I want to do with certain ads, uh, social media or traditional ads or what have you? or even the email campaign. And so once you've got your strategy pulled together, you've got your messaging done, there are a lot of different elements of that, a lot of uh, you know different uh, gears, a lot of different cogs in, in that machine, so to speak, that you can turn, knobs that you can turn to turn certain things on and off. Obviously, when a recession starts to come in, sales soften up, you want to take the most profitable of those, you want to start to ramp those up early, and then later on, you will start, you may need to wrap up some of the ones that are less profitable for you. Uh, if you're in the opposite situation where sales are coming on strong, you're already utilizing your plant resources really well, and it's starting to get maxed out, lead times are stretching out, 
Now you've got the opportunity to start working on pricing and policies to let you play primarily in your sweet spots that are the most profitable for you. And that's where these metrics come in really handy is to know what those are. So I think the short answer is you've got to have the strategy first. You've got to know what those different elements are. And then you've got to have a plan for how you're going to respond to those different business conditions. Does that, does that answer your question, Alicia? Yeah, yeah, that's helpful. Thank you. Okay. I know it's a little vague because until we talk about you know, your specific business and what your market segments are, uh, it gets a little tougher maybe to, to apply that. But that's, that's the essence of it is to have the structure and to have already looked ahead at the different scenarios that are going to pop up and kind of know what your leading indicators are telling you. And with those leading indicators, you can start to be proactive about how you respond to those situations. That's a big key. Hey, hey Ed, do you mind if I jump in? Sure, please. What I, what I, what I found interesting, what you said earlier about like the production capacity, like if we're not at 100 percent or if you don't, if you're not really good, you don't have a good gauge on it, you become complacent. I think with sales, it becomes the opposite sometimes when that faucet is on and it is the busy time like we've all had the last 15 to 18 months, we become complacent on that end because it's just so it's so good and we're not planning ahead or we're not maintaining the relationships because what's the need for it so it's like during those busy times you can't let that go either and we've, we've kind of learned we've learned that over the over the last year or so excellent point you're talking about you know we've been talking about marketing up until now you're talking about sales and in really busy you know really plentiful times the sales folks almost become order takers right for sure. And I, and I think it kind of like runs into at some level, you know, putting together marketing plans for the future when you're when you're starting to see things dip, when you're the last minute situation, like how do you get the quick sales? That's where you kind of get you get stuck a little bit. Yeah. And, and sales is a skill that's learned. And like mm -hmm. any skill, um, if you don't use those skills regularly, they can kind of get a little dull. And when you suddenly have to start kind of ramping back up and turn the sales juice back on, so to speak, it, it can take a little while because especially if you're not watching leading indicators, you know, website traffic, social media traffic, um, inbound calls, showroom traffic, all those, you know, quotes from B2B sources, you know, those types of things, if you're not watching those leading indicators, uh, I think one of the things you kind of implied there was this the situation where you really need to turn sales back on can jump up all of a sudden. And now you're not really ready for it. Whereas if you're watching those leading indicators, you can kind of say, hey, guys, you know, we, we think maybe in the next 30 days or so, we're going to have to start doing a little more of these sales activities we haven't had to do for a while. Let's start doing some role play and let's start dusting off those skills and, you know, kind of sharpen up a little bit and get ready for it, right? Exactly. And I think that when we're, what we realize and just kind of seeing in our market from any kind of marketing materials that we participate in or, or things that I look at, when we're really busy, your brand awareness, I think a lot of folks, and for, for us too, sometimes our focus on brand awareness does min diminish a little bit because they're going so good. So exactly. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Great. Yeah, you're, you're dead on for sure. So it's, it's um, you know, part of a, you know, we've talked about marketing strategy, but part of a good marketing strategy, I think, has got to include good sales techniques, good sales skills, good sales training. I think that's really a key part of all of this because marketing is a strategy and it brings up the opportunity to make a sale, but then you've got to have good sales techniques and skills to, um, to go out and take advantage of that. If you do one and not the other, you're certainly self-optimizing. Christopher, any comments you want to add to that? 
You're the guru. You touched on, you know, the, the, the strategy aspect of marketing and, and I can't over, overstress that. Um, have a long-term, have a short-term strategy, have a long-term strategy and factor in the various facets of what you're able to do in terms of your bandwidth and then what you might need help with from an outside source. Um, sometimes it's a photographer. Sometimes it's having um, a system in place to always be getting customer testimonials right when the job's done and everything's just pristine um, and having that built into your standard operating procedures. But that can be a piece of the marketing strategy. And it's, it's, it's vital to look at the year ahead and then think about the following year as well. And measure everything, measure everything that you're doing in terms of marketing with some form of metrics so that you can make informed decisions on how to make adjustments. And uh, there's no scientific formula to marketing. All of marketing is trial and error. You've, you do things, you observe them, and the only way to make decisions is to uh, look at what's working and what's not. So there's always got to be some form of traceability there. Yep. And the good thing about the trial and error is it's based on your knowledge of your business and your market segments. So if you've got a really good knowledge of that and you're really dead on and you're dialed in, then there's there's a little there's uh, a lot less error. Uh, but if you're not willing to second guess yourself a little bit and and validate whether you're right or wrong or not, you can easily head off in the wrong direction and and have a lot more errors than successes. So yeah, you, that's that's a real key to there. Uh, being able that uh, the term I have heard a little bit lately is intellectual humility, and I like that term a lot because it means you're willing to stop and assess, are we, do we really know what we think we know? Or, you know, do we need to go out and validate that or not? I think that's really helpful. So Victor, you haven't popped in here in the last few minutes. Are we uh, talking about things that, that you think will work for you that will be helpful? Uh, yeah, certainly. I I would say that probably myself, I don't have like much input on this just because uh, like, as I said, I've kind of been through the time of the company when everything been pretty good and steady and you know we and as i said uh, since i'm focused more on the commercial uh, side of the uh, like project that basically you know like you said you know you need to brush up your sales skills like because i don't do the sales uh, exactly anymore i just mostly you know uh, quote the projects get the projects you know all up to speed and you know and follow along in my plans to probably go and and get and start finding once once i get cu cut up with everything what i have right now to start and getting more of those um you know maybe some builders maybe some more commercial accounts but it might be not exactly like sales um you know like like you do uh when you work with the residential jobs so far i'm just listening and kind of taking notes uh, because as I said, so far it's been pretty steady and uh, the job been always coming in. We did not have to chase it, but like you said, you know, there could be some ups, some downs. And um, I wanted to agree with, you know, the previous uh, message that sometimes you do need to get a professional help, like whether it's the photographer or social media or somebody who can do this job, you know, better and faster than you yeah, especially today when, when things are still pretty busy for most of us, um, you know, playing to your strength, you know, know what you're good at, what you're not good at. And if you need you know, a new photography or whatever, you know, going out and get those professionals to help you. I think that's a great point. Armando, any, anything you want to add to this discussion? Um, 
Yes, Ed. Uh, like four or five years ago, I tried one of those social media companies, uh, specifically Yelp. And I feel like that company helps your company hostage all the time. <laughs> Because if you pay, they're happy. You don't see any bad reviews. As soon as you stop paying them, the bad reviews start coming. And if you go to my website, you can see there are some bad reviews. And those came from Yelp. So in my type of business, I don't deal with homeowners. I just deal with uh, contractors or builders. So I think uh, something like that, it doesn't apply to my uh, company. So I need to find, with your help, <laughs> <laughs> Something that really uh, applies to, to uh, my company in this case. Something different, not even uh, Facebook or one of those. So it has to be something different to attract more uh, builders. Understood. Yeah, there are. I think part of what you're saying is there are right ways and there are not right ways to, to use social media. And, and Yelp is one that I've never really heard a lot of good things about. Uh, so that's key. And you're doing... Uh, almost all B2B, you're, you're selling the contractors, selling the designers and architects. Um, the client Christopher and I are working with right now in a different part of the country is the same type of client. He's not as, his business isn't as high end as yours, Armando, but um, he is all B2B. He does almost no retail. And so we're, we're working together to do exactly what we're talking about, put together this market strategy to help him go out and, and get more business. He has, his situation is he's added a ton of capacity last year on, by design. He planned this out and his plant is about half full right now. And so he wants to fill that plant up with good quality, profitable, good paying work. Uh, and that's that's the plan that we're in the early stages of generating for him. So the, the short answer is, if you're in a B2B scenario, you need more need more customers, or you, maybe you need to replace some that you have because they're not working real well for you. There are ways to do that. And, and I agree with you, Yelp is not really the best way to do that. So uh, as, as you and I can, I'm working with Armando now, just in full disclosure for the rest of you. He's a current client. And so Armando, as we go forward and that becomes uh, an issue we got to deal with, we, we've got some good tools and good resources we can use to, to help you make that happen. So that's great. Um, I've got some, um, some, you know, frequently asked questions type things I can review real quick. But before I do that, I want to see if anybody else had any other questions or comments, anything that, that I said they wanted to dive a little into or something they heard from somebody else they thought was worth uh, talking about for a minute. I have one thing I wanted to ask. Sure. And that's probably more of maybe if somebody has experience with that. So one thing that I kind of ran into recently uh, working with the, you know, B2B or commercial is that we have like, let's say a few builders that we've been working with them for a long, long time. Like, I mean, yes, it's a good, like long-term partnership. And we always do, you know, everything we can, we go out of the way to like, you know, meet their expectations and projects, always prioritize them. But like, you know, all the pricing uh, is is coming up. Like even, we're not even talking about the material, but even, you know, labor pricing, if you put in all the tools and all the supplies in it, they're also uh, coming up. And the project, especially custom homes, they just becoming more and more complicated, whether, you know, the islands just grow exponentially bigger 
or there's miter edges everywhere and stuff like that. So the problem that I ran into that basically, you know, once you try to price that project accordingly, um, you run into the issue where they either, you know, uh, don't agree with the price saying that it's too high and before it used to be lower price. And then B is that when, uh, you know, we have to use some kind of equipment for for the install uh, phase that uh, I get this question asked a lot. Why do you have to pay for the equipment if, if this is something that you guys need, uh, you know, for install? Okay. So sure. I was going to see that if anybody, you know, has the same thing and kind of what was the best, you know, way to deal with it. Great questions on, on both of those. Uh, Derek, Amando, Alicia, what, what have you guys done that's worked well? And what have you tried maybe that hasn't worked well? Alicia, you got any thoughts? Um, in my case, when I uh, send an estimate, I put a date that is validated, like either 30 days or if it's if you start the project after 30 days, I tell the, uh, the contractor that we need to revise the price every 30 days because everything is changing right now. And also on one of your uh, notes or whatever you want to call it, you put there any uh, lifting um, or machinery that you need to accomplish that. In our case, sometimes we need to lift pieces up to the uh, 20th floor or things like that. So that's um, the contractor. All that cost goes to the contractor. I don't, since the beginning, you have to be specific on that. Um, so that's why you visit the job site and you see if it's a first floor, 10th floor, 20th floor, things like that. So all of that, you have to put it on your estimate since the beginning, because, yeah, if you change it after, it's a, well, you know, I didn't count on this and I had to use that. It's really hard to recoup that money from the customer. Well, Armando, you're, you're in a large city, so you, you deal with that, you know, pretty frequently. Uh, Victor's on the on the coast, uh, and and he's got he's near a, a large town, but not quite as big a metropolitan area as yours. But I think your point's valid. Both of both the fact you know put a this quote is only good for thirty days you know type statement on your quotes. I find a lot of folks just don't do that at all. Um, and then setting expectations up front and asking those questions early in the sales process, so you know what it is you're quoting. That that's a real key. Derek, Alicia, you guys got any comments? Yeah, for... Yeah. Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Alicia. I'm sorry. I was just going to say I can 100% relate because uh, you know, we're, we're, we have the same challenges. So, you know, instead of quoting a pro by project by project with the B2B stuff, you know, they've got a price list. And in my experience, they expect that price list to only stay the same or go down. So, <laughs> you know... <laughs> The, the challenges we're facing right now with increased material and labor costs, you know, it's sort of weird. I, I don't know if it's a production builder thing or what, but, um, you know, they, they seem to be willing to accept price increases from, you know, cabinet companies and other trades and stuff, but almost won't hear it from countertop. And I think some of that is related to, you know, we have, pricing that fixes materials and labor together, whereas maybe other trades separated and, you know, when they see a material increase, they just know it's a material increase. Um, and I don't have a great answer, unfortunately. I just, I just can relate to the problem. Okay. Derek? 
No, I I, I've, I love to echo what Alicia said. It's, if it was only as simple as saying, you've, in, you've accepted all these other price increases, but not ours. And I think sometimes we kind of get into a little bit of a situation because we are one of the last people in. And if everything's over, they're wanting to cut prices back. Um, one thing that we've kind of adapted over the last couple of years with the, the last year or so with the price influxes is that we will price any colors, but we kind of, we've narrowed down to like 12 to 15 colors that are our go-to. So for those big builds that we, that we bid years ago, like last year or something like that, we know that even though that there might be a, a minimal price increase that we can just go to those colors and say, this is what the pricing was for, just to kind of like minimize the impact. And that kind of helps a little bit more to where they know what they can look at. They're, they're seeing options that fall within that price range and kind of setting those parameters. I think that that helps a little bit with absorbing some of the increases. That's a great strategy. Limit the damage to a small section of your of your products rather than make it widespread over all of them. I think that's a great strategy. I think there. I think your uh, your intuition about you know where the countertop install is as it relates to the entire project is also true. Um, it's where you've got a great advantage in that if you can do quick, short template install lead times with a high probability of hitting those install dates, uh, have great tight processes, deliver great you know consistent high quality. Uh, customer experience and a high quality product at the end, um, then you've got a great opportunity to differentiate yourself in the market. But I think uh, Derek's right in that um, when it comes to price increases, they've had so much of it, they're, they're price increase weary by the time it's your turn, so to speak. But I think uh, I would encourage you to, at the end of the day to keep in mind that if you don't increase your prices, if you don't get something to cover those increases in real cost that you've got, you know, they, the, the contractor, you may want to have a conversation with them that says, hey, you know, if we don't, if we can't find a solution to this problem, I may not be able to help you next time, you know, because I may not be here, you know, not, not necessarily that bad, but I mean, set the expectation that, that this is the reality that we're all dealing with these days. Uh, and I think that what I encourage a lot of my clients to do is if you think you need to make a price increase, go ahead and do it now, because when things start to slow down, you won't have that opportunity. And if you don't get that price where it needs to be today, then, you know, when things start to slow down a little bit and you still got some of these high costs, you're just not going to have the opportunity to catch up. And so you really have to push it hard now. Um, and if you've got contractors who understand their business and they understand your business, yeah, they'll push back, but they will understand. Um, the ones who simply won't understand, and Victor, you were kind of talking about a customer that you guys bend over backwards for and you make them a high priority and all that, and, and then they don't want to accept any price increases. You might want to ask whether that's really your customer. Should that really be your customer long term? Uh, that's where some of these metrics on which customers, which contractors, which Market segments are more profitable for you than not. Being able to quantify the impact of some of the stuff you're talking about, Victor, can sometimes help you with that decision. So that's that's uh, another other thought as well. Any other questions that, that folks have got? Now, first off, Victor, was that information from Derek and Armando and Alicia helpful? Yeah, certainly. As I said, I mean, we usually try to deal with it um, case by case, you know, situation. A lot of it goes into you know, your kind of either personal relationship or just, uh, you know, what that type of person is. Like if there is one person that is in charge of it, uh, you know, or a group of people like, uh, you know, have to have a good relationship so you can 
you know, find the, the ways uh, to, you know, protect your bottom line. And I agree with you, like you said, that in some cases, you know, you want to maybe re- like look at it and revisit and think like, is this really, you know, type of people, you know, we need, but sometimes, you know, you know, you can't always uh, have that luxury of like pick and choose. Uh, but yeah, I was just basically looking to see like if uh, anybody else has the same, you know, similar problems or uh, what they do. So, uh, so certainly I appreciate everyone's input. Good. Yeah. And I appreciate all of you being able to jump in too. That's, as I said at the beginning, that's, that's part of the value of these, a big part of the value of these sessions is that you guys get to share some, share some ideas with each other. You know, Victor, you were talking about not having the luxury to pick and choose. One of the key outcomes of a really good market strategy is you start giving yourself more options to pick and choose from. And then when you can quantify that with some of the metrics I'm talking about, uh, then now you're getting to the point where you're starting to control your business better. You're running it, it's not running you. And you you don't have to put up with as much of, of what you've been talking about, Victor, as you would otherwise, because you've gone out and you've generated other opportunities for yourself. Uh, I see Christopher over there grinning. I think he would probably second that. Absolutely, absolutely. Any other questions anybody's got? Anything you guys want to ask of each other since you've got a chance to, to pick some brains here? I've got a couple of, uh, of questions that have come up as a result of the article. I'm going to run through these real quickly. But uh, one of the questions that's popped up is, is um, something I think I've already touched on, but I'll do it again, is you know when you say that uh, if I think my shop is 80% full and you say it's really only half full, have you ever been in my shop? <laughs> and uh, I have gotten that kind of question before. Um, that's really based on um, early in my career, I was an industrial engineer in textiles. I was doing work measurement and setting work standards to set individual piece rate incentives. And so understanding how work is measured and how those standards are set and, and having worked through a lot of that in a lot of different industries. And then again, having been in several hundred manufacturing plants, I can tell you that, that that's a, a really true statement. Uh, because every shop has got some amount of underutilized capacity. And if you've never set any production standards, if you've never done any intentional, uh, intense work to improve your processes, I can just about bet you that if you think your shop is full, you've probably got 30% capacity. In other words, you can actually get 30% more square footage through that shop in a day than you think you can. And uh, that's, that's just based on 40 years of experience. Uh, so that's that's um, that's pretty well a given. I, I've got a I don't have a hundred dollar bill in my pocket right now, but if I could lay my hands on one, I'd put it on the table and bet you on that on, on any shop that you walk into. Now that that's how strong I feel about it. Um, next one is if I want to keep my shop eighty percent full, how do I eliminate the complacency that you mentioned? Um, the short answer is fill the shop up. <laughs> I mean, if you, if the shop's not full, it's tough. It's like pushing a rope. Uh, you just, you really can't get folks heavily motivated to perform at a higher level if the if the need is not obvious. And when a shop is full and things are backing up a little bit, the need gets to be obvious. Um, I think of production managers, shop managers, plant managers that I've met over the years. I can't think of a one that would want to be in that scenario where their shop's not full. They always want a full plant because it's so much easier to run. Uh, I just honestly, there is not a good answer to how to to eliminate the complacency if your shop is not full. You'd almost have to to let normal attrition where people leave and don't fill them up 
or, or don't back uh, don't replace them or if a machine breaks don't get it running again and almost create that sense of urgency artificially and and that's not a good solution business wise um, you know you've invested in those people to train them and get them up to speed you invested in that machinery you really need to get a good return on your investment that's that's smart business the last one that I've got is um, some folks have asked about well why is it so important to, to um, this thing about making the customer the hero. Um, and I think the best answer I can think of to that is, what is the sweetest sound to any human being's ear? And usually it's the sound of their own name, right? It's not your name, it's not your business name, it, it's about them, uh, you know, we're all humans. So if we talk about them instead of talking about us, that all make it starts to resonate. If we talk to them about their problems and show that we understand them, then we they begin to believe that we understand the pain that they feel. And when they understand that and you start to show them and demonstrate how you can help them with that pain, now you're making that customer the hero in, in their story and in, in their challenge. And I think that's just a much more effective way to approach a market. You know, even though we're doing, we talk about B2B, business to business work, that business is still people and you're still dealing with people. Christopher, I see you nodding. Did you have a comment you want to put in there? just feel passionately about that, that what you shared. And one thing that we encounter every day, it's this, we're, we're all here on this rock spinning around the sun and we're all trying to get done what we're doing. And business is still relationship. And to Ed's point, we're still dealing with people. People use words to communicate. And so crafting the right message that places your clients at the center of the story is of paramount importance because you know nobody nobody cares about how much you know. They want to know how much you care about their situation. That's really what it boils down to. And so there's effective processes and um, ways to communicate with clients with marketing that is not salesy in nature, where you're not coming across as being a pushy salesperson or business development person or whatever the role is. People want to feel cared for, especially when they're doing something special for their home and they want to feel heard. To flip that story around is, is a huge piece of that to help those nurture those conversations along and reinforce that relationship aspect. So that's what came up for me, Ed. Thanks. Cool. Thanks. I, I saw your head bobbing up and down. So I knew something was going through. The yeah, head. I feel like I'm in church. I'm like, yeah, man. Yeah, you go. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> All right. And obviously, if you've got, you know, questions around how to do this in your business, I'm happy to talk with you. Um, you know, hit fabricatorscoach.com. You can get in touch there. I'm, I'm happy to talk to folks at any time. Um, and if you want to get, you know, really detailed about your business, I do offer, I do offer a free customized personal assessment on your business. And what that boils down to is a, is a phone call where we dive into the details of your business, dive into your challenges, and we talk about what needs to be done, you know, what are some things you can do in your business to help deal with your unique challenges. Um, and so if you want to do something like that, reach out. We'll be glad to set up a time and to do that for you for free. And, I, and the outcome of that is, is kind of a high-level game plan and usually some sp additional specific recommendations that may help you with something that you're dealing with today. Uh, so I'm happy to do that with you. Our, our next article uh, that comes out first of next month is how much work can my shop handle? Uh, and then that article will dive into pricing. You get lots of questions about, okay, so how do I set pricing? Uh, and we'll talk a lot more about how you can run your business instead of it running you. As I mentioned earlier, uh, this, this webinar will be converted into a podcast. You can go to the Fabricators Coach podcast on any uh, 
podcast platform that you use and you'll see it there. There are already several from uh, past webinars that are there, plus a few others. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Fabricators Coach Podcast. If you've got any additional questions about this particular episode or anything else, please check us out at fabricatorscoach.com. Thanks. Have a great day.